we're going to read from the New Testament here. And I, I got to tell you something funny happened at the first service. I told everybody we were going to read Colossians 2 verses 6 to 7, just like it says in your bulletin. And then for whatever reason, I turned to Philippians 2 and started reading verses 6 and 7. And I thought to myself, well, that doesn't make much sense. You know, and, and 180 very polite people all just sat there and listened and wondered quietly to themselves, what's wrong with Pastor Dan? And then they remembered, that's just how I'm wired. But then I ended up reading the whole passage because I wanted it to make better sense. And then I realized that what I had done is accidentally stumbled onto a much better scripture reference for today's message. Funny how the Holy Spirit works. So I'm going to ask you to turn to Philippians chapter 2. And we're going to read chapter 2 verses 1 to 11. And here's the thing. It's just one page further. It's a couple of pages back. It's 1165 in that Bible there on your table. Page 1165, Philippians chapter 2. And I'd like to share that with you now and listen to God's word. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which, yours, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. And that's the word of God for the people of God and a pretty good way to set the stage for what we're going to talk about now. This is Christ the King Sunday. Now, that is a, a moment on the church calendar. The church calendar or the Christian year is something that's about as old as the organized church. And it started out simply as Christians tried to make sure that each year they commemorated certain high points in the story of Christianity. So naturally, they start remembering things like the occasion of Jesus' birth, the occasion of his death and resurrection, the occasion of his ascension into heaven. And so they start formulating this calendar of critical moments in the life of the church that is capital C Church Universal. And then from there, we got what has become known as the Christian year or the calendar of the church year. And it's become 
mainly a Roman Catholic thing in that it has a number of feast days throughout the year and each day is dedicated to certain special things. But many, many Protestant denominations have embraced the church calendar of the Christian year because there are important things in some of these feast days for us to remember. And so we call today the feast day of Christ the King and it is at this point in the history of the calendar of the church year, the last day. Now Christ the King Sunday is something that's fairly new. In fact, it started out in the 1920s when Pope Pius VI declared that we would have a feast day to Christ the King. And then in 1970, it turned into a feast day that's celebrated on the last Sunday of the Christian year. Now, you might be wondering why I'm telling you this, but I want you to hear some of the interesting insights about this particular occasion called Christ the King Sunday. In the 1920s, the world was in a weird flux, historically speaking, between the First World War and the Second World War. The First World War had been so cataclysmic that most thinking people in the world were very disillusioned and very concerned about what really mattered and was there even a God? Because how could God have allowed something so unbelievably devastating to happen? And people's hearts were open to all manner of influence. And it might be helpful to remind you that during this period of the 1920s and 30s, between the First World War and the Second World War, people like Adolf Hitler, Benito Mussolini, uh, Emperor Tojo, General Tojo, who became a declared emperor. These were people who were beginning to emerge in the old Russian Republic. The Soviet Union was beginning to be born with the revolution and people like Marx and Lenin were trying to tell the world that religion was only making life harder and it was better to have a completely secular society. Religion is famously called the opiate of the people by a certain philosopher who gave us something called communism. All of this was emerging during that period between the First World War and the Second World War or what I like to call the World War that had a first half and a second half and took a little intermission in between. And all of this history is to remind you that at the time when Pope Pius VI declared in 1925 that we would dedicate a feast day to Christ the King, he was using his presence on an international stage to say, no, Christ is King. Not Mussolini, not Hitler, not Tojo, not Lenin, not Stalin who would eventually emerge. These, these people were all acting like Caesar did way back in the times of the early church, suggesting that their authority was supreme and that their government was perfect and there was no reason that you shouldn't worship at their altar even calling themselves gods. I mean, if you look back at the history of Hitler, they just kept eliminating people who were too smart to know better until there wasn't anybody left who wouldn't worship him as a kind of god. Some of the rallies that happened in Germany during Hitler's reign are unbelievable. Tojo, Japanese Imperial Army would do anything. I mean anything in the name of their emperor. There are stories of 
Imperial Army soldiers who were on outposts in the Pacific 20 years after the war ended, who were still fighting to the death if someone encountered them for the emperor. This was how completely they had given themselves to this person. And so the whole point is, is that the Roman Catholic Pope at the time was doing something pretty courageous and pretty bold. He was telling the world, Christ is king. Make no mistake about it, Christ is king. And for that, I'm grateful. And then in 1970, another pope changed the Christ the King Sunday to a Sunday, or the, the Feast of Christ the King to a Sunday, putting it even strategically as the last Sunday of the Christian year. Now, I don't know if you remember, but I remember very well what was happening in 1970. It was the heart, the height of the Cold War. At that time, nuclear annihilation was something we all feared and had every reason to think could occur. We had two huge superpower nations with the gigantic arsenal of nuclear weapons pointed at each other. And there had been numerous incidents where the button, so-called, had nearly been pushed. And in the midst of that, another pope says, Christ the King should be celebrated on a Sunday, which elevates that feast day to a higher standing in the minds of the Roman Catholic. But to the rest of us who follow this calendar of the Christian year, it came at the end of the Christian year. This is our New Year's Eve in the Christian calendar. Do you know what we call the calendar that we go by every day in our lives? We call it the Roman calendar. I'm not telling you there's anything wrong with that, but I'm just saying that this is an opportunity to view this Sunday as a stand against the Roman calendar, to say for just a moment, no, this is the end of the year. This is the end of the Christian year, and we end it by remembering that everything we did up to this point was for the glory of Christ the King. Everything up to this point in our worship and in our lives was meant to be for the glory of Christ the King. And so the new year begins next Sunday with the first Sunday in Advent. And you know, for Christians throughout the generations, Advent only meant one thing, the coming of Christ the King, the second coming of Christ the King. We were meant to recognize at the beginning of the Christian year that our next year of Christian worship and living should be anticipating the return of Christ. And this is what Advent was intended to be. Now, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, and I don't want to rob anybody of the joy of the season, but I'm going to say some things over the next few minutes that may be difficult for you to hear. But as someone told me earlier today, I would be a poor preacher if I came in every Sunday intending to just tickle your ears. So there will be no tickling for the next several minutes. You see that Advent calendar that I used to love when I was a little kid, the one with the candy on it that we counted down the days till Christmas gift receiving? It's not the calendar that we're looking at here. We're looking at the return of Christ the King. We're looking at the glorious return. We're not looking down into the manger where the baby Jesus in his infancy lives. It's not that that isn't beautiful and worth remembering on Christmas Eve. We're looking up 
for the coming of Christ the King. We're looking for the return of the Lord that brings about the culmination of everything God has planned. As people who are dedicated to Christ the King, we've made ourselves something of an insurgency, or at least we should be. Insurgencies are those subversive underground movements within a society that are determined to overthrow the existing government and replace it with a better one. Now, it really just depends on which side of that you're on, whether you think that's a good insurgency or a bad insurgency. But let me just say that this insurgency will cost you something to be a part of. This insurgency says that a comfortable church and a comfortable religion that embraces all sorts of ideas and doesn't require you to land on any particular truths and stick to them is to be overthrown and undermined. This insurgency says that a society that will embrace anything and not stand for anything in particular will fall for anything. And this insurgency requires courage to be a part of it. Insurgents are usually labeled, dragged out of secret hiding places, and punished. Think about those dictators I mentioned a few minutes ago. When people tried to subvert them and prevent them from rising to power, they paid with their lives. Whole communities suffered. Being an insurgent takes a lot of courage, and it takes a willingness to think of your life more than as more than just a few years on this earth but as an eternal expression of your relationship with God purchased through Christ's blood in my spiritual life there have been these cathartic sort of epiphany moments that occur every two or three years where a new idea just comes into my mind and then the Lord sort of sanctifies it somehow and then it becomes part of my speech, part of my preaching, part of my teaching, part of my praying. It's, it's just, it's there and if you've known me very long at all you can always tell when it's happened because I'm kind of like a broken record now some of you may have noticed in the last few months that I've been talking a lot about Christ the King that that's been a big theme for me see I read this book last summer and it's funny because I I, uh, I needed a new yeah I needed a new you know notebook device right and I and I bought a Kindle because I'm cheap and my Kindle came with a free subscription to Kindle Unlimited for like 90 days so I could read all the books I wanted for free. And, and this one came up, this book called Insurgents by Frank Viola. Now this just shows you how God works. I can't tell you this is how he's going to work in your life, but this is how he works in my life. So you see, I, I got myself a new Kindle, and then I got a free subscription, and then I got recommendations based on my reading patterns, and this book came up, and I got to read it for free. So being a cheapskate put me right where God wanted me to be. And I read this book and it changed my life. And it's just a book. I mean, I don't want you to think it's more sacred than scripture or anything, but this was a guy 
who had had his life changed by the reality that he then imparted through this book. Now he's written dozens of books and he's written hundreds of blogs. This is a really prolific writer and a really devoted follower of Christ. And this book, he says, is the most important thing he's ever written and I agree with him. It's called Insurgents Reclaiming the Gospel of the Kingdom by Frank Viola. And that is what I want to talk to you about today, is reclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. To be an insurgent means that we aren't members of this kingdom, of this world, and this time, as much as we are meant to be members of the kingdom of Christ. Now, if you're wondering whether you're an insurgent or could be an insurgent, I'm going to give you a couple of tests that I think will help you. And I'm going to, write, I'm going to warn you right now that there are two possible outcomes that I can imagine. You'll either say, you know, I might be an insurgent, or no, I don't think I'm an insurgent, or I said two, and naturally I said, spoke three. But you're also going to probably, some of you, be mad at me for what I'm about to say. But I want to ask you a quick question. If the flag in the worship space, the American flag in the worship space, makes you a little uncomfortable because it's there in the altars here, you might be an insurgent. If when you say the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and it feels wrong to pledge allegiance to a flag, and you can't remember the last time you pledged allegiance to Christ Jesus, you might be an insurgent. See, if you're really worked up about whether somebody stands for the national anthem or not, and what they mean when they don't stand or sit or whatever, you, you might not be an insurgent. This is tough to hear, I know, but here's what I'd like you to keep in mind. If I just made you uncomfortable with my suggestions, I'd like you to think about something. The Christians that we admire so much from the earliest days of the church, you know, those ones who went into the Colosseums and were tortured to death for not being willing to confess Caesar as God. Do you know in reality what 90% of them were asked to do? that got them in this deep of a trouble. They were asked to simply worship at an altar by saying with like a little pinch of something that they were given to place on the altar, Caesar is my God. I devote my allegiance to Caesar above all else. And they said, no way. No way, I'm not going to do that. Christ is my king, not Caesar. They knew that when they became Christians, when they were baptized, that they may as well have been baptized in water that was dyed with permanent ink. Because when they came out of the waters of baptism, they were never going to be able to escape the reality that their devotion was entirely to Christ. They knew that. In their hearts, their devotion was complete. And this is why they would be willing to go to a tortured, horrible death rather than confess allegiance or profess allegiance to an earthly king. I can imagine that some of their friends must have said to them, what's the big deal? Just say your allegiance is with the king and then go back to worshiping Jesus. Jesus won't care. The king won't care. You just pay your taxes. You do whatever you're supposed to do. And what they said was, is no. 
No, because if I give in just a little bit, then I risk standing on the precipice of a slippery slope where I will gradually give in to who knows what next. That each day I'll find myself giving in just a little bit more and sacrificing a little bit more of my commitment to Christ in order to conform to society. And then you find yourself compromising. Our denomination's in a very difficult place right now in its history because people have become more devoted to their ideologies than they have to the Christ who formed the very church in which they worship. You know, you can't really use the word church without saying the body of Christ. Now, I know what you're thinking. But isn't this is a church? Is this a church, right, Pastor Dan? A small C church technically describes this building that we're standing in. You're right. Personally, I never talk about church without meaning the body of Christ, which is something that doesn't have anything to do with this building or any other building devoted to Christ. So there are people who have devoted themselves to an ideology in the name of Christ, but their ideology is their God. They've gotten on this slippery soap saying, well, well, God wouldn't like that. Christ wouldn't do that to those people. And so on and so on. And pretty soon they find themselves compromising until they don't even know for sure who Christ really is or who they really have devoted themselves to. To be an insurgent is to say, I don't care if you're comfortable with your religion, I can't be comfortable in religion. Religion is not evil, but it can become a place where people with no real faith gather together in the name of the one that they claim to love but they do a hundred other things instead of actually devoting themselves entirely to him. This is, this is why I bring this up right now, because you see, I mentioned to you that back in the beginning of the 20th century, a pope with a little bit of courage said, I think we need to, do, to remember that Christ is king and not worldly rulers. And then back in the 70s, when we thought we had the power to destroy the earth, Another pope says, don't forget, Christ is king. And now I'm no pope, but I'm telling you, at the beginning of the 21st century, we need to remember that Christ is king. That Christ is king. Not Donald Trump, not Barack Obama, not Democrats and Republicans, not progressives and conservatives, not Fox or CNN. It, that's not who we worship. Or is it? Do we worship a party? Do we worship an ideology? Do we devote ourselves to worldly authorities? Do we think that some people would be, that would go unmissed if they were eliminated from society altogether? Do we feel more passionate about football games and basketball games than we do about worshiping the king? You see, as we go into this next year, this Christian year, we're remembering the advent of the King. We're remembering that Christ the King is coming again. And for all we know, there will be a no other Thanksgiving celebration with our family than the one we're having this week. For all we know, this is the last one. Now that might be because we're taken away from this earth suddenly and unexpectedly like what happened to Betty. For all we know, Christ the King could return in glory 
And all of this becomes irrelevant in an instant. In the blinking of an eye, Scripture says, for all we know, this Advent season where we put the decorations on our houses and in our houses and in our places of worship and we hang the lights and we hang the ornaments and all, for all we know, this is the last one before Christ the King returns. And will he find us sentimentally remembering his birth and how we imagined it to go? Or will he come finding us looking heavenward in awe, waiting for the return of the king? See, during this Advent season, you can do two things with these holidays. You can worship your traditions. You know what I mean. Thanksgiving dinner at a certain place at a certain time with certain things on the menu, Black Friday activities, watching the parades, watching the football games, you know, these are all traditions. And we can be so committed to our traditions that we can injure our families by trying so hard to make them conform when life takes them in directions that won't allow for that as it used to. We will engage in our traditions of putting out the decorations and so forth at a certain time in a certain way. We'll, we'll worship those traditions if we're not careful. But who are we really about to worship? The king. And not a little baby so much as a glorious redeemer. About 30 years ago, my mother-in-law gave me a whole stack of cassette tapes to listen to. Boys and girls, cassette tapes are the way we used to listen to MP3 files. Those and vinyl records. And uh, I had a job driving a pickup truck uh, for, for my company that employed me all over the place. I was on the road every day for miles and miles. And for hours on end, five or six days a week. And, I had uh, another strange device you may have heard of in your history books. It was called a boombox. Sat on the seat next to me in my pickup truck because all I had in my pickup truck was an AM radio with push buttons. Does anybody remember these strange oddities? And I listened with my boombox to all those cassette tapes and a million other things over the years that I was in this job. And, and my mother-in-law, well, most of the music she gave me on these cassette tapes were kids' songs. Makes sense. She's the mother of nine. She taught Sunday school class and children's church and things like that. So she had lots of kids' songs. And there was one that really stuck in my head, my memory. Many of them, actually, that would, I still will drive. Some days when I'm driving by myself somewhere, you know, going down to Evansville or something, I, I'll start singing these songs just like I did when I was driving along 30 years ago in my pickup truck with the boombox sitting next to me. And, and this one is the one that I remember today. Just a verse. King of my heart, king of my heart, Jesus, you'll always be king of my heart, king of my heart. Jesus, you are my king. I pray that prayer all the time when I sing that song. It's a prayer and it's a song. It's just a little verse. It's a children's song. 
Here's what I want you to take away from everything I've shared with you. I know I've rocked you a little bit. No tickling today. The idea is not to say that you shouldn't pledge allegiance to the flag, not at all. You can look at that flag and you can remember the thousands and countless numbers of people who died under that flag, preserving the very freedom that makes it possible for me to stand here and to say these hard things. Because of that flag and everything it stands for, you, you can listen to a preacher talk about starting an insurgents. And he doesn't get taken out in chains the minute he finishes. No, you can look at that flag and you can thank God for faithful women and men who served under that flag to preserve your freedom. But just add one more thing when you do. Lord Jesus, they believed in something bigger than themselves when they fought and died under that flag. And I believe in something bigger than myself. And that's why I can pledge allegiance to my country, but not more allegiance than I can pledge to you. When you sing that national anthem, you can stand, sit, kneel. I don't care what you do, but would you do this? Would you end the song by saying, and praise be to God, he has given me a king greater than a nation that only lasts for a little while in human history and then it's gone. Those of us who went to Israel and to the Holy Lands recently can tell you that we saw all kinds of remnants and ruins of the great Roman Empire, but it's gone. People died saying, I'd rather declare allegiance to Jesus Christ, whose kingdom is forever, than to declare allegiance to a Caesar who we now know, with 2,000 years of recollection, has been relegated to memory and dust. We wouldn't know anything about the Caesars and all of their crazy things that they demanded of people if it wasn't for the fact that they were so vain that they recorded everything they did for posterity. So please don't hear me saying that you shouldn't be thankful for faithful people who use that flag as a rally point to preserve and protect those freedoms that we so readily take for granted. But just thank God for that. Thank God for that and worship Christ the King. It's all about perspective. This Thanksgiving, would you do something really remarkable? Would you thank God for things on Thanksgiving Day? Would you gather around the table with your family and lead by example and say, this feast is going to be good and it's going to be fun, but the first thing we need to do is give thanks to Christ the King. Because next year we may not have food on our table, we may not have shelter for our weary, cold bodies, and we may even be in the presence of Christ the King. So today we take a moment to thank Him and give him all the glory for our prosperity. Today we remember in humility that we are blessed beyond measure and that the vast majority of the people in this world will not experience the bounty that we have at our table. Humility before God and thanksgiving is what I recommend this holiday rather than commitment to traditions that make your family feel good or make you feel good. This Advent season, I want to challenge you every time you hang some decoration in a special place or an ornament on the tree, that you just make a habit of hanging it and then muttering just ever so imperceptibly under your breath, glory to Jesus Christ, 
hang an ornament. Glory to Jesus Christ, hang a stocking. Glory to Jesus Christ. All of these minor little steps cause you to change your perspective on things. It causes you to say, Christmas is fun, but Christ is king. Christmas is fun, but Christ is king. That's what I'm suggesting you do this year. And you know why? Because scripture says when he comes again, he's going to shout and all the faithful are going to hear him. And the more you devote yourself to hearing his voice, the more certain I can be that you will hear his voice when he calls. And if he hasn't put any other mission on my heart as a pastor and a preacher, it is to make sure that you're listening for the voice of Christ, the King. That you're devoting that little piece of earth, that about two square feet that you stand on, to the kingdom of God. And that when we stand together, we are a visible, earthly expression of the kingdom. That's what I want to dedicate the next Christian year to. This Christmas Eve, this New Year's Eve, this, this whatever Roman calendar holiday we face. I, I want to dedicate right now on this eve of the Christian year to the glory of Christ the King. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for your word. It's difficult. And perhaps that's one of the ways we know it comes from you. Glorify yourself through all that's been said and whatever isn't from you, just throw it away, Lord, and don't let the memories carry it any further. But Lord Jesus Christ, we love you and we dedicate ourselves to you now. Amen. Mm -hmm.